This episode is sponsored by Bow Lake, the most beautiful paddle boards in the world. Visit bowlake.com and learn more. That's B-E-A-U lake.com. Bow is French for beautiful. B-E-A-U lake.com. You're listening to The Luxury Item, the podcast on the business of luxury and the people and companies that are shaping the future of the luxury industry. Here's your host, Scott Kerr. The Cassidy brand was founded in 1958 in an artisan workshop just outside of Rimini, Italy, where Flora and Quinto Cassidy manufactured the first collection of sandals designed for tourists holidaying on the Italian Riviera. Nowadays, the Cassidy brand is one of the largest exporters of made-in-Italy luxury shoes all over the world. Cassidy designs its own heeled pumps, which have been favored by celebrities and models from Kate Blanchett and Taylor Swift to Lupita Nyong'o and Gigi Hadid, just to name a few. My guest on the luxury item is Ariana Cassidy, the third generation of the founding family and newly appointed CEO of the 65-year-old brand. Ariana is also the daughter of creative director Cesare Cassidy, who has been behind the brand style since the 1980s and responsible for elevating its international growth. Its blade heel style has become well-known among footwear fans. Much of Ariana's experience comes from working within the family business, moving her way up in marketing and e-commerce roles, and is responsible for accelerating the digitalization of the company. She has also worked for other houses such as Alberta Ferretti and the Florentine multi-brand chain Luisa Villaroma. Welcome to the luxury item, Ariana. Thank you so much for having me, Scott. It's a pleasure to be here together. Yeah, same here. Thanks for joining me. So the Milan Fashion Week was last month and Cassidy presented its fall winter 2023 collection. So how did it go? It was great. It's always a great chance for us to talk about something that we love so deeply. And since uh, 1958, when my grandparents funded the company, it's a chance to celebrate what my family loves the most. And shoes, shoes, of course. (laughs) So what did you showcase there? What was the theme? A lot of our time together surrounds about shoes and meals that we share together. And often the two things actually are merged in one. And therefore, we wanted to share that family feeling with our with our customers and press friends. And therefore, uh, there was a big some round table setting with a meal uh, based on shoes, of course. Uh, so everything ranging from flats to platforms, but our... Uh, iconic element, the blade at a special place within the setting uh, because it turned into the super blade, a new heel side and a new last as well. Very pointy, uh, looking back to the 90s, but without nostalgia, of course. Looking at the whole entire show last month, what what, what were some of the biggest trends that came out of it for you? It's uh, it's different because since the pandemic, the um, the business slightly changed. From one end, there's something that we are very you know well known from, and therefore formal tire, elegant shoes, something that is very. Uh, for special, I would say for special occasions. On the other hand, we had a wide range of selection of shoes that you can wear from day to night, something that is very practical and metropolitan, something that you can wear every day. Uh, on top of that, we introduced the bag collection because it's something that we felt that was complementary and therefore, um, you know, something that 
you know, it was complementary to the look. However, we don't think that it, it's the case anymore. And the, the Bax collection uh, as a reason on its own to stand out. And therefore it doesn't have to be matchy-matchy, but something special right. to have at your Casa de Wardrobe. So you were recently appointed to lead the brand as it marks its 65 years in business. Congratulations. And you're taking that role at a time when the global luxury goods market took a leap forward in 2022 with high income households less affected by economic pressures and continuing to shop for luxury goods. So what is your number one focus as CEO? Of course. I'm, I mean, when I joined the company, I was 22 and my first role within the company was taking over the e-commerce. And at the beginning, everybody thought that I was a little bit crazy. But right now, <laughs> uh, especially after the pandemic, we're definitely grateful for the push forward in terms of, in terms of technology. Um, last year, we celebrated the 10th anniversary of the Blade with launch of the NFT collection uh, and pushing forward the boundaries uh, that we have in order to express uh, our family heritage. Uh, therefore, to be relevant in the market still today, uh, I'm working on um, several different um, things, of course. So on one side, there's product, on the other, the communication, and then uh, the sales department and and production since we produce everything in Italy. Um, even though it's a challenge, I would say that still today, in order to be relevant, we have to have like an orchestra. Every instrument has to play along and uh, to share that kind of message is my number one priority at the moment. Um, obviously, in terms of technology, we're always trying to stay on top of uh, the new releases because of course, uh, as we push forward in terms of product, everything needs to be uh, walking at the same pace. And you've honed your skills in a variety of departments within the company, and you also work for other houses such as Alberta Ferretti and Luisa Villaroma. What are some of the key things that you've learned growing up within the company and from outside the companies you worked for that helped you prepare for this role? I would say that my number one um, mantra that I still have today, it's something that my granddad shared with me when I was 15. Uh, it was pr pretty scary as, a, as an informal meeting because I was seated in his office and it was pretty formal, the arrangement, even though our conversation was anything but. Uh, and at some point, I was sharing, obviously, my life as a teenager and out of nowhere, he asked me, what would you like to do? What do you picture yourself doing in the future? And at 15, I was like... I don't really know if this is actually <laughs> what I want to pursue if, because they have already had a path for me. I mean, my grandparents funded a company. My father took it on an international level. It was pretty challenging looking up to them. So uh, I shared with him, honestly, my concerns. And he was like, Ari, remember this every day of your life. Um, it doesn't matter. I mean, in a company, it's not just one person that makes a difference, but the team, the collective of people that you surround yourself with. And um, your talent has to be humble, number one, but to recognize uh, talents within other people and surround yourself uh, with them. So that is something that I still have, you know, as a mantra, as I said before, every day in my life uh, and is to recognize the people that are better than me doing um, 
some other part of our job and sharing that kind of message because in a in a family-owned company everyone makes a difference yes so since becoming ceo at the beginning of the year have you started introducing some new ideas while still honoring things that have already been put in place of course uh for example the we have weekly manager meetings. Uh, I like to uh, coming. I'm coming from communication, and I think that internal and external communication has a vital role within every company. And therefore, I like for every person of the team to know where we are heading to, uh, and to be updated with what we are. Uh, our next challenges are in order to have everyone on board. So Casaday has two physical stores in Italy and one in the UK. And with the U.S. being a large online market for the brand, what are some of your most important global markets right now? And where do you see opportunities? Uh, for sure, we do have a pretty uh, established uh, awareness in Italy and Europe since my grandparents started exporting in the early 60s. <laughs> and looking back, it feels like ages ago. <laughs> but um, as for now, definitely that's something that is uh, still key as markets for now. We have an established business in the um, uh, Eastern Europe, uh, and we're looking to expand our business business online, especially in China and uh, uh, the US. We're putting in place a localized market, um, that, a stock market that we can have there in order to um, reach our customer in a much more efficient way. Your father, creative director Cesare Cassidy, has been behind the brand style since the 1980s and has elevated really to its international growth. How would you describe his design style? Um, when I was a little girl, actually, it um, it changed so much the way that I see my father's work through the years. Because obviously, uh, there was a phase you know, when I was a little girl that looking my father, yeah, and you know, uh, baby eyes. It felt like it was the most uh, fun work in the in the right. in the world because it was uh, grabbing like pieces from his uh, daytime job, getting back home like with um, specific kind of leathers. Uh, special bows covered in crystals and so on. And everything that he created felt like it was, I don't know, kind of, um, of a game. Um, growing up, I started to understand that was there was a little, a very fine line between what he was doing and what he was passionate about and, and translated that kind of inspiration into something that was material. For example, from one of his many travels, uh, I was like 16, I believe, and I asked him for a specific perfume. And out of the top of the perfume, he actually kind of borrowed it <laughs> for, for the season. And out of that, he created, he created a heel. Uh, and I started to understand that it's just his creative mind worked differently than everybody else uh, because he saw inspiration everywhere uh, right now. And then when I joined the company, I added the kind of, um, let's say, mathematic purposes at his, um, at his feet because it was like creating an imaginary world where everybody felt, every woman felt like it was uh, a dream. But in the end, we needed numbers. We needed data to evolve that kind of the way of thinking about the collections. And it has been a pretty inspiring get, you know, back and forth because 
I knew that we needed something to uh, be more specific. For example, for the bridal collection, we created something together a season because we wanted to have bridal shoes that feed every woman and making her feel special, not only for the day, but uh, also to be to, to wear that shoes later on. Um, and therefore, having a man designing women's shoes is so interesting to see because the first thing that he has to think about is that does the women that want our collection uh want to shop or is it just something that isn't necessary mm -hmm. and is this shoe perfect for every feet or do i have to make adjustments and along those lines it creates um season by season silhouettes that are always flattering and uh, have the potential to make everyone feel at their best so how have women changed since the mid 80s when your father started producing his own line and how have women's shoes changed as a result of that i believe that going through the decades uh, for example within our archive you can definitely see not only the change in fashion, but the change in women's needs and what they do every day. Um, and it's so fascinating because sometimes we just think that fashion is something that is uh, a world of its own, but it's so deeply connected and reflects the kind of society that we're living in. If I have to summarize all that in one word, it would be freedom. For example, when I was a little girl and I used to come to the factory uh, in order to see my family mm -hmm. a little bit more, right. everybody um, across the offices, they were wearing um, pumps because it used to be the go-to shoe for formal attire and, and to go to work, no? On the other hand, while, you know, growing up, everything was uh, mixed. I mean, we can see women right now wearing heels, mid-heels, bikers and sneakers, and everything accordingly to their own personalities. Um, my husband always makes a joke. Uh, and he says, you like to change so much that I'm going to understand which mood you're in accordingly <laughs> to the shoes that you have that specific day. And obviously, <laughs> it's definitely a part that defines my mood. We'll be back after a quick break with more of my conversation with Ariana Cassidy. Bowling. In rocky shore, I will return once more. Yes, I will. Boom, diddy, boom, boom. Boom, diddy, boom, boom, boom. All right. The world's most beautiful paddle boards. Bow Lake. The water is calling. We're back with more from Ariana Cassidy. So what makes Cassidy different from other shoe brands today? How does it position itself? I would say that the, the, everyone has their own DNA, but for us, it's a family thing, a DNA, a passion, something that we, um, you know, for the whole family, 
a leather, a heel, or, or a specific part of a shoe has always been an extension of our arm and hand. And therefore, sharing that tradition with the people that are currently wor working with us in, in production, um, it kind of reflects on uh, the shoes that you're receiving at home. So I would say that once that you wear the shoes, it's uh, they have two soles, one that's underneath and one that's in, inside your heart and something that is, you know, creating that dream to have women celebrate life and uh, having a, a specific shoe for a specific moment. It reflects on the quality of research and design that we put within every collection. For example, during the pandemic, we... Um, had call to actions and uh, and games within our community. And I was the one managing the, the answers because I wanted to get in touch with our community. And a lot of them, they were saying, I cannot wait. I bought these shoes, even though we are on a pandemic and I bought like I super high heels because I want to celebrate. And once it, and for, for the majority of them, the, the synonym of uh, celebration was going out, partying with a great pair of shoes. You know, I was reading an interview with your father. He said, you know, our job is a gamble. My parents always repeated the mantra, be at the service of women. It is their happiness that we can understand if we have done a good job. So do you think luxury brands have to work harder these days to deliver happiness and joy to the customer than in the past? I just want to give you a little bit of a context about that mantra, because uh, right now we have, as I said before, every information that we need is basically something that we can gather from um, from the data analytics of our e-commerce or uh, like a digital analysis, basically. Back then, in order to receive these informations, and I know that for, for from uh, first-hand experience, you had to sit through a whole day within that specific shop or boutique or shoe floor and understand what women want in a way that re reflects in, in reflected in their eyes and in the way they uh, they wore while uh, walking literally in their new pair of shoes. Um, so today, uh, it's it's easier to get all those informations, but at the same time, every woman and final customer is bombarded by many other messages. Therefore, I would say that in order to stay relevant, you have to um, believe in what you do 100% and keep on sharing the same values uh, in a modern and contemporary way. So in order to answer to your question, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily easier now than, than before, just because we have more data. But it, it's, um, it's something that we have to think about while doing our job uh, on a daily basis. You know, I was, I was reading an article recently where they interviewed the top buyers at some of the luxury retailers. I won't name the retailers. You know, they were saying that the swiftness with which shoe trends are shifted has been unprecedented, you know, from sneaker boom to a post-lockdown party shoe craze to something for a normal daily lifestyle. Are you finding consumer preferences more challenging than they were pre-pandemic? I would say that as we talked before about freedom, and I would say that 
that reflects also in terms of uh, creativity for us as a shoe brand. Um, one thing was delivering shoes for a specific use. Another thing is to create something that is not as it hasn't been like the key item of Casa Day since 1958, but venturing something new. And it, it's very exciting and, and interesting to be able to deliver something that has the same DNA um, season by season. So in my opinion, uh, that swift change has been hectic uh, during the last couple of years especially, but in a way, it pushed the boundaries of creativity even more. So last year, Cassidy celebrated the 10th anniversary of the Blade, which has been a best-selling heel style for the brand. The Blade heel also has a galaxy of top celebrities who are often seen wearing them on the red carpet. As the name suggests, the shoe design is a blade-like with a sharp, high spike of a heel. Can you talk about how the blade was conceived and the engineering and craftsmanship behind the shoe design? The blade is definitely the epitome of uh, what I've been discussing at the beginning of our conversation. The, let's say, confrontation that we have within our family about shoes. We are very passionate about that. Sure. And therefore, the, the Carell that was generated by the blade between my father and grandfather has been something that pushed my father to even more uh, belief in the in the making of this heel. Uh, it, it's from an in, it, it's a piece of engineer and uh, and a work of art, I would say, because it's still today made um, by artisanal hands, even though it's uh, within our production, of course. Uh, it took seven months to have it made and to have a, the perfect balance uh, between the thin heel and uh, the way that it has to support. Um, therefore, uh, the razor sharp uh, silhouette is definitely something that has been a challenge. The heels are usually made of plastic materials, while this one has a, a stainless steel sole so within the, the, um, the heel that allows our women to walk uh, successfully wearing them uh, all day. So um, definitely the celebration of the 10th year has been a, a milestone with it for, for our company because it's a signature heel that is still relevant for, for us as a brand and recognized globally. Um, I would say that the beauty of the blade is is something that is still, you know, modern, even though has been designed ten a decade ago. Uh, and in order to keep on uh, mentioning how forward it was, we wanted to express that kind of futuristic vision, uh, partnering with um, a partner for the launch of the NFT capsule collection right. that that we launched in September last year. Yeah, I'd love to talk about that. You know, last year to celebrate that milestone, the 10-year milestone, you released a limited run wearable NFT. Each customer purchasing the NFT was offered an avatar to play in the metaverse platform, Decentraland. Can you talk about that venture a little bit more? Of course, it was a digital project. Therefore, you could have not only the NFT, but also the physical item if you wanted. Uh, and we launched it on several platforms uh, on our social media, the, the, the press, and then obviously um, the 3D, the 3.0 world. And 
creating the decentralized experience has been particularly important for us since we wanted to uh, dive into Cesare's mind when he was working on the blade and therefore the experience has been immersive in a sense that it was um, not only a walk through uh, the past of Casa Dei, but also uh, in Cesare's mind from the, a creative perspective. So should we expect more Web3 initiatives from Casa Dei? We are definitely working on something more in the future because if we we were just testing the waters. It has been interesting for us to also approach a new community, uh, new customers, uh, which they don't have uh, uh, the same eye-to-eye -eye kind of conversation that we have with our regular uh, customer base. So it has been interesting also for us to uh, understand better the market. CEOs of two well-known luxury retailers, one an exclusively online store and the other a well-known department store, came out recently and said that they are shifting their focus on just the top 2% wealthy customers and away from the aspirational customers. Who is your core customer and where will the growth of your business come from? I would say that our women are that are independent, cosmopolitan, not afraid to take the center of stage. And therefore, they could be everyone everywhere. Uh, obviously, um, the reason here is has allowed us to get more in depth and more in touch within our community. But we are working on the awareness globally because uh, being able to share what we do on a daily basis, the behind the scene of creating a shoe, because the majority of the time we think only about the finalized product that we see on the shelves. But there's store, I, I mean, for example, within the company, I always say thank you to all the artisanal hands that have been literally working uh, since 1958 till today. Some of them uh, recently retired, but we have, for example, me members of the same family still working together. And it's kind of a, a family thing, uh, 360 degree. So in order to share that kind of feeling, it's not just the item that you see on the shelves, it's, it's more. But we have to, you know, be more in touch with everyone and and be more specific about what we do uh, because there's a lot uh, in the behind the scenes that happens that not necessarily is uh, something that you see, especially when talking about shoes. So what else are you doing to attract the next wave of customers, namely those who cannot afford Cassidy shoes yet, but if they're paying attention, will know of the brand and perhaps eventually be able to buy them? I would say there are right now, uh, fashion is pretty democratic. We are uh, we have actually uh, invested into the new payment methods on our e-commerce. Uh, we want to have more uh, events globally uh, in order to reach also new demographics. And I would say that overall, it's in, and also, for example, the 3.0 activities, they are meant to attract not only our regular customers, but also new potential ones. So the topic of sustainability has been gaining momentum in the footwear industry, although one hears far less about it compared to the apparel industry, especially when it comes to leather products. Why do you think that is? And where does Cassidy stand? 
uh, we are still in the process of experimenting. And uh, when we talk about luxury, obviously we talk about implicitly about um, something that would last across the years. So it's a, a still a challenge to have pro fine products that will last uh, for uh, a long period of time. So that's that's the majority. And, and obviously when we talk about shoes, we talk about engineer and therefore there's a lot, you know, that uh, comes into play for these reasons. So I would say that as for the moment, we do have uh, vegan materials within our collection. We do have um, specific um, teams that are working on researching new materials as well, season by season. For example, we are creating a handbag collection that is sustainable, but in order to have the green uh, um, label, I'm not saying that we are that yet, there yet. Uh, there's still a lot of work to do, uh, 360 degrees. I don't want to create a shoe in satin and slap a label on it that says, okay, this is eco, because right. obviously it's, it, it, it's definitely not what the topic is at the moment. So Ariana, my final question is the luxury item question, which I ask all my guests. So if you were stranded on a deserted island and you can only have one single luxury item with you, what would that luxury item be? It can't be any form of air or water transportation to get you off that island or anything that requires mobile service so you can call somebody to get you off that island. What would that one single luxury item you would like to have with you? It would be a blade pump because it serves <laughs> as, a, as a weapon of seduction and as a weapon <laughs> itself. So <laughs> if I have to open like a, a coconut, um, I, it would be helpful, I think. Ariana Cassidy, CEO of Cassidy, thank you so much for joining me on The Luxury Item. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for allowing me to uh, share my story and the passion that we share for shoes. That's it for this episode of The Luxury Item Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this useful and entertaining, I would be really grateful if you can share it with a friend or colleague. I would love it if you subscribe so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other listeners find us. The Luxury Item Podcast is a production of Silvertone Consulting. I'm your host, Scott Kerr. Until next time. <laughs>